everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and happy Thanksgiving! As I'm recording this right now, it is the day before Thanksgiving. It is a damp, gray morning here in Portland, but I don't intend to let that get me down because I have entirely too much coffee at my disposal. So there. You know, it's a kind of fun Thanksgiving goof. How every year the, the president pardons a turkey and then I guess just doesn't kill it. It seems like it's pretty fun for everybody. It is kind of confusing because it seems like the crime that the turkey is guilty of and is presumably being pardoned for is being a turkey. So I would imagine there's a pretty high recidivism rate. Like, do they just give him a slap on the wrist and be like, okay, don't be a turkey anymore, though, or next year? I was like, dude, I'm I, I'm still a turkey. Ooh, unless there's some kind of, like, a legal document that they give him that, like, if he gets, like, pulled over and accused of being a turkey, then he could just, like, show them this little badge that says, no, 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 according to this signed document, I am now legally a beautiful swan. And they're like, well, we gotta let him go. Yeah, probably something like that. That's got to be a tough beat, being a turkey cop. All right. Well, we have a special episode for you guys. It is another giant-sized Defenders. And this one is stuffed full of podcast with all of the trimmings. Yeah. So without any further ado, let's uh, do this. I'm having a little trouble bringing up my email right now, so today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by me having entirely too much coffee. Namor cleans up his underwater spills with a mop fish, or perhaps a sea sponge, or perhaps a synopsis. Kind of fell apart at the end there, but it did rhyme, and it did have the word synopsis in it. Thanks too much coffee. Giant-sized defenders number four. April 1975. Too Cold a Night for Dying. Written by Steve Gerber. Drotted by Don Hack. With inks by Vince Coletta. Lettered by David Hunt. Colored by Petra Goldberg. And edited by Len Wein. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Valkyrie. Nighthawk. And Yellow Jacket. Previously in The Defenders. Back before he was a C-minus Batman ripoff, billionaire duel bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, used to be an evil C-minus Batman ripoff. In those days, the bird-beaked burgling bachelor used to pal around with a whole crew of evil C-minus Justice League ripoffs called the Squadron Sinister. The other members of Kyle's crime-committing coffee clatch were Hyperion, a C-minus substitute Superman. Dr. Spectrum, a C-minus Green Lantern of inferior incandescence. And The Wizard. Sorry, give me a second. The Wizard, a C-minus facsimile of The Flash. Who was named The Wizard? At any rate, Kyle and his crime cronies mixed it up with the Avengers, and it didn't go so great. They fell in with a shady glamrock interstellar real estate developer named Nebulon, the cosmic man from beyond the stars. The magnificently monikered malevolent mogul wanted to flood the planet and sell it to some extraterrestrial aquatic assholes. That scheme sounded swell to the Squadron Sinister, but Kyle was like, nope, too evil, and betrayed his bad guy buddies. 
The avaricious avian aficionado enlisted the aid of the defenders to thwart the shit out of his felonious former friends. And thwart they did, causing an explosion that apparently vaporized the B-list baddies and their Bowie-esque cosmic client. Hooray! The defenders apparently felt that since Hawkeye had quit the non-team, they had a roster spot open for an entitled sexual harassment-prone asshole, and asked Nighthawk to join. Hooray? Kyle gratefully accepted the offer and almost immediately started making inappropriate advances towards his new co-worker Valkyrie. Shitty. The sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger was largely oblivious to her associate's amorous intentions, but when she revealed that she had recently learned her host body had an estranged husband, Kyle lashed out at the amnesiac Asgardian and stormed off. What a shithead. This is why the defenders really need an HR department. The spurned, self-pitying socialite sought solace in the company of his awesome ex-girlfriend, Trish Starr. Trish was a former child prodigy turned supermodel who once helped Ant-Man thwart her villainous Uncle Egghead's evil schemes. She is objectively rad and far too good for an entitled prick like Kyle, so naturally they started dating again. Gadzooks! Will the pretty polymath prove the perfect partner for our privileged pugilism-prone plutocrat? Have we seen the last of the C-minus bargain basement Justice League ripoffs? And if Trish manages to reform Nighthawk's sexist ways, who will make up for his missing misogyny? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, you know, for a little while it kind of seems like it. No way. They're in theaters right now. Also, the Squadron Sinister is back. Sorry, I haven't actually seen the Justice League movie yet. Just jumping on the bandwagon for some cheap shots. And, well, Hank Pym is in this issue, so I think we're good on that front. Kyle and Trish are out on a date, which is apparently big news because they are immediately surrounded by the paparazzi. The reporters ask the couple about the status of their relationship, and Kyle is surprisingly forthcoming about the details of their private lives. He informs the press that yes, they are dating, and while it is serious, Trish is ready to get married, but he probably isn't yet, and that Trish is a super dope genius free spirit supermodel. If he wasn't in such a hurry, he probably would have gone ahead and told his new reporter buddies about his crime-fighting alter ego. Dude is so free disclosing the details of his life to the press that I'm seriously considering making him an honorary Teen Titan. Everybody makes a big deal out of the fact that Kyle is driving his own car today like a big boy. Good for him. Or maybe not so good for him, because as soon as Kyle puts the key in the ignition, the car explodes. Oh shit. Dude really is new to driving himself. He must have accidentally pushed the car blow up now button. Rookie mistake. They really shouldn't put that thing right next to the windshield wipers like that. I'm glad that modern vehicles no longer have a self-destruct option. Thank God for Ralph Nader. Okay, actually it turns out that the car had been sabotaged. Kyle and Trisha rush to the hospital and the police are left to wonder who could have possibly had an issue with a billionaire duel absentee CEO of an amorally run corporate empire. Who indeed? Valkyrie and Stephen Strange rush to the emergency room to check on their injured non-teammate. In the lobby, Steve runs into one of his old buddies, a mustachioed surgeon named Dr. James Winter. Jim is scheduled to operate on Kyle in a few minutes. He's a little worried and asks Steve to scrub in and assist him as a consultant. Steve reluctantly agrees. The surgery goes pretty well. Mostly. About halfway through, Steve kind of zones out a little bit and starts daydreaming about who he'll ask to help him seek vengeance. Dr. Jimmy notices that Steve is getting all sweaty thinking about revenge and snaps him out of it. That must be one of the things they used to teach in Silver Age medical school. 
the diagnosing and immediate cure of sudden-onset revenge sweats. Nice work, Dr. Jimmy. The two mustachioed medical marvels finish up their sawbonesing and tape Kyle back together. As soon as they exit the operating theater, Steve runs into another of his colleagues. The Hulk! Hooray! It seems that while Steve was zoning out and daydreaming of vengeance, he inadvertently sent out a telepathic request for a consultation to Dr. The Hulk, who may not be a medical doctor, but certainly has at least an honorary degree in smashing from the school of hard knocks. Dr. The Hulk made a less than delicate incision in the hospital wall as he Kool-Aid manned his way through it and demands that he be taken to see his friend Bird Nose. Aww. Steve explains that Birdnose is convalescing and needs his rest, and the trio of non-exploded defenders head back to the Sanctum Sanctimonious to regroup. Meanwhile, in the suburbs, Janet Van Dyne, a.k.a. the Wasp, and her husband, Henry Pym, a.k.a. Ant-Man, a.k.a. Giant-Man, a.k.a. Goliath, a.k.a. Yellow Jacket, a.k.a. Inspector Insector. Okay, I made that last one up, but still, this dude has a lot of aliases are watching TV when the story about Trish and Kyle's explosion comes on. Hank immediately suspects that Trish's piece-of-shit Uncle Egghead is involved. He declares his intention to investigate. Janet is like, Cool, can I come? Seeing as I am objectively a much, much better superhero than you are? But Hank is like, No, like everything else in the world, Trish Star getting blown up is all about me. I have to do this by myself for some reason. And also, I made some new gadgets, so I'm not going to dress as Ant-Man. I'm going to go as Inspector Insector. I mean, Yellow Jacket. Okay. Across town, we see Trish's evil Uncle Egghead. Seems like the pointier-headed version of Dr. Bunsen Honeydew isn't doing so great. He's crashing at a homeless shelter in the shitty part of town. Apparently, part of his bedtime ritual is to first verbally, then physically, attempt to abuse his unfortunate bunkmates. Unsurprisingly, this doesn't go over particularly well, and the oval-headed fuck gets beat up and thrown out into the snowy streets. Okay, that's not the type of misfortune I would generally celebrate, but... Hooray! Fuck that guy. Meanwhile, Inspector Insector is buzzing around town. He zips through the Hulk-sized hole in the hospital wall and goes to visit Trish. She's... she's not doing so great. She's all mummied up in bandages, and the police have told her that they might have to amputate her arm. Shitty. She tells Hank that her crap-ass uncle called a couple of weeks ago and asked her for a loan. She told him to go pound sand because A, she figured he was going to use the money to build some evil shit. Two, dude built a machine to suck her brain out last time she saw him. And C, fuck that guy, he fucking sucks. When Hank hears this, he reckons it confirms his suspicion that Egghead was behind the explosion. In a weird pantomime of the emotions he thinks he is supposed to be feeling, Hank silently and deliberately shakes his fist at the sky. It's pretty awkward looking. A few hours later, and only a few doors away, Steve and Val pay a visit to Kyle. Kyle thanks Steve for helping to save his life and offers his opinion that the explosion was most likely the handiwork of his old frenemies, the Squadron Sinister. I mean, sure, they got blown up last time we saw them, but who else could it be? After all, nobody else could possibly bear Kyle Richmond any ill will. Um, you know, the dude's had a tough day. I'm going to let that one slide. Interesting to note, though, that the fact that he wasn't the target doesn't even occur to him. Seems like maybe Kyle and Hank would get along just fine. Meanwhile, 
The Hulk is outside the hospital guarding Val's flying horse Aragorn when the dumbest cop in the world starts yelling at him and telling him to move that flying horse because this is a no-parking zone. Okay, in the idiot cop's defense, the green Goliath is wearing an impenetrable disguise. A pair of sunglasses? No, the other impenetrable disguise. A trench coat and fedora. Hooray! Officer Dumbass isn't totally off the hook, though, because the flying horse isn't wearing any disguise at all. Man, now I really want to see a Pegasus wearing a trench coat and fedora. Anyway, Steve and Val run out and convince Hulk not to smash the doofus, and the gang heads off in search of the Squadron Sinister. Meanwhile, across town, Hank has been searching all morning for any sign of the villainous egghead, Egghead. Then he looks up and sees the oval-domed douche walking down the street a few feet away from him. That's lucky. Pim confronts the down-on-his-luck diabolical dick, and Egghead immediately confesses to orchestrating the explosion. He insists he didn't want to kill his niece, and drained the gas tank of the car so that the detonation would only maim and disfigure the young woman. What an asshole. Hank goes to punch the shit out of the fucknut, but before he gets the chance, Egghead slips and falls on the ice. So, Hank pulls him to his feet, and then punches the shit out of the fucknut. Hooray. I guess. Pim drops Egghead off with the police and heads back to the hospital to check in on Trish. When he gets there, he finds that Trish isn't doing so well. She is expected to recover, but the doctors did indeed have to remove her arm. Shitty. She asks Hank to tell Kyle that she's okay. Yellowjacket heads down the hallway to Kyle's room to share the news and inform the blown-up billionaire do well of the events of the morning. Kyle is visibly shaken by the news. And not just because of Trisha's amputation, but also because he realizes that he has just sicked his non-teammates on the squadron sinister, and they may be in great danger. Wait, they aren't in any more danger than they were before he found out about Egghead. If anything, they're actually in a little bit less danger, because if the squadron isn't responsible for the attack, then they probably won't be expecting retaliation. Well, maybe his pain meds are kicking in because Kyle freaks out and tells Hank his secret identity all about the defenders and insists that Pim track down his buddies and make sure they're okay. Damn it, Kyle! I mean, it's a nice sentiment and all, but you are the worst at secret identities. That does it. You are officially an honorary Teen Titan. Your codename will be Speedy2, and Robin will think that you're awesome because you kind of remind him of his shitty dad. Meanwhile, at the Creighton Observatory... A decidedly not vaporized and blown up squadron sinister is sitting around talking about how not blown up they are, and how they haven't done anything yet, but they are totally planning on getting revenge on Nighthawk and the Defenders soon. Just then, speak of the devil, the Defenders Kool-Aid man their way through the wall like Big Jim Slade and start punching the shit out of them. Hooray! Dr. Spectrum, the C-Evil Green Lantern, shoots the Hulk with a de-hulkifying gun, Hyperion KOs Valkyrie, and <laughs> the wizard punches out Steve. So, that sucked. A few hours later, our heroes awake to find themselves bound in some kind of weird dungeon below the observatory. You know, those dungeons that observatories have? Man, astronomers are so kinky. <laughs> Astronomer. Nice. The gang is unable to free themselves, but luckily Hank wanders by. At Steve's astral insistence, Pim uses the pain gun he invented like a fucking weirdo on a de-hulkified Bruce Banner, which has a re-hulkifying effect. Hulk frees his non-teammates and they all rush back to the hospital. Just in time, too. The squadron is about to smash Kyle. Hulk smashes Hyperion. 
That makes the wizard pissed. <laughs> Hank slams the silly speedster into the side of a building. Then the Hulk does that thing where he claps real loud, which knocks out Hyperion and shatters the crystal that shitty evil Green Lantern uses instead of a power ring. With the squadron defeated, the defenders pile them up so they can be carted off to whatever prison or magic bubble they will escape from next time. Hooray! <sighs> Only it feels like a pretty hollow hooray. A few weeks later, a mostly recovered Trish and Kyle are out walking. Trish informs Kyle that she's leaving town. Since her surgery, she is convinced that Kyle now looks at her with pity instead of love. Despite his impassioned pleas to the contrary, she insists on saying goodbye to both him and New York. Damn. Talk about your giant-sized bummers. Bye, Trish. But, speaking of giant size, seeing as this is a giant size issue, we have a couple of backup reprint stories. The first is Untitled Submariner Story. Reprinted from The Human Torch number 4, April 1941. Written by Bill Everett, drawn by Bill Everett, probably inked by Bill Everett. A small town in Alaska is having a pretty shitty time of things. There's a bunch of ice storms and shit, and on top of that, they're suffering from an outbreak of influenza. Some scientists in the lower 48 have developed a serum, but can't deliver it on account of the storms I mentioned a second ago. Some army guy gets the bright idea to tell Namor to deliver the medicine for them. Yeah. I bet that'll go over great. Namor says, sure, no problem. What? Actually, what he technically says is, gladly, sir. What the fuck? That is not my Namor. The Namor I know does not say sir to anyone. Unless he is self-narrating and says to himself, I surreptitiously glance around the room to make sure everyone is paying attention. Then I rip my shirt off and yell imperious rex. Who is this helpful imposter? The substitute mariner eh, swims up to the Arctic Ocean with the serum, but gets trapped in the ice. Then a plane crashes pretty much into him, which loosens the ice and frees him. He rescues the pilot, then flags down another plane, and hitches a ride to the imperiled town. On the way, he compliments the rescuing pilot on his aerial prowess. Who is this politely demure doppelganger? They arrive at their destination and find that the town is about to be crushed by a wall of ice. The helpful dude who looks like the Submariner jumps in a bomber and starts shooting the ice and dropping bombs on it. Hmm. Brash? Impetuous? Destructive? Maybe there's hope for this guy after all. The bombs accidentally catch the town on fire. Whoops. So he blows up an iceberg that had been holding back a huge reserve of water. The ensuing tidal wave puts out the fire. Hooray! but also floods the town in icy water. Whoops. Then he swims under the town and blows up a gas tank, which I guess evaporates all the water or something. Hooray? I guess? Yep, the fiery explosion that destroys all the fuel in an icebound town has virtually no ill effects. Hooray. The Namor-shaped creature delivers the medicine to the town folk that he had lit on fire and then nearly drowned and then nearly exploded and is on his way, satisfied with a job well done. Then we get another reprint. This one is entitled Witchcraft in the Wax Museum. Originally printed in Strange Tales number 121 in June of 1964. Written by Stan Lee, drawn by Steve Ditko, with inks by Steve Ditko, lettered by Artie Simak. Steve Strange is chilling out in his sanctum sanctimonious, thinking about how important he is. See, Namor, not everyone has to act out of character just because it's a reprint. 
Steve's self-important introspection is interrupted by a phone call. The caller claims to need his help and gives an address far across town. Steve decides to send his astral ghost form to check shit out, but when he gets to his destination, he finds only an empty apartment with some kind of a robocall device set up. Uh-oh. Steve goes back to his sanctum and finds that while he was caspering around, someone went and swiped his body. Double uh-oh. Turns out that the Steve-napper was none other than Strange's old foe, Baron Mordo. Mordo sends a projection of his disembodied head to mock Steve's astral form and exposition at him. The Baron's plan is to hide Steve's body from him for a day. If Steve doesn't manage to recombine his body and soul within 24 hours, then I guess he all the way dies or something. Mordo throws in a few, Ha ha ha, you'll never find your body, you're doomed, etc., and then pops off. Soul Steve starts to fly off in search of his missing meat Steve, but Mordo sends some ghosts to fight him. That fight lasts all of a panel or so, as Ghost Steve quickly dispatches the non-Steve ghosts. Time is running out, but fortunately, this isn't Steve's first game of Hide the Steve. He uses his amulet to track his body to the wax museum where Mordo has hidden it. Hooray! Unfortunately, there is a spell on the body which prevents Ghost Steve from climbing into himself. Dang it! Steve climbs into one of the wax dummies instead and sneaks up on a gloating Mordo and ties a gag around his mouth. Unable to say spell words and stuff, the Baron decides to go astral and attack his adversary on the spectral plane. Bad move, Baron. Steve is like super good at ghost fighting. Ghost Steve kicks Ghost Mordo's ass. Then he casts a spell that keeps Ghost Mordo separated from Meat Mordo. Ho ho! Not so fun when the astral shoe is on the other astral foot or something. Is it, Baron? I guess beating the dude who cast the spell keeping Steve out of his body broke the spell because Steve climbs back into himself and gloats at a frustrated astral Baron Mordo. He tells Mordo that he is going to keep him from re-entering his body for 23 hours and make him think about what he did and why it was wrong. After that, he is free to go. Um, Steve? He's just gonna try that shit again. At least put him in jail or something. Mordo himself swears to Steve that he's totally gonna try that shit again. But Steve is like, No, I think you probably won't. I did a great job. No, I'm totally going to. I said I did a great job. Man, as frustrating as he can be, there's something vaguely reassuring about the fact that throughout the ages, Steve's gonna Steve. So swears Doctor Strange. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well, thank you. How are you? I am also well. So, normally we would have been hitting Defenders number 21 this week. Mm-hmm. But as I was reading Defenders number 21 to first go round, it made specific references to things that it said happened in Giant Size Defenders number 3. Ah. So... I read Giant Size Defenders number three and found that it did not happen in that issue. Oh. So they made a screw up. And so I was like, oh, that wasn't in Giant Size Defenders number three. They probably mean Giant Size Defenders number two. So I went and read Giant Size Defenders number two oh, and the stuff didn't happen in that issue either. What? So then I read Giant Size Defenders number four and that was the one that they were talking about. Also, I had thought that the Giant Size issues came out like annuals, like once a year or so. And so I didn't realize how far behind we were falling on these giant sizes. So we will go back and cover giant size two and three at some point, but we'll kind of try to pepper them in 
like mm. around other story arcs. Okay. But all that shit aside, what'd you kind of think? It was it was fun. It was okay. Yeah. Wow. He sounds kind of qualified with that. I actually really really dug this issue. What's the, what weren't you crazy about about it? You know, I guess it's a fine story. It's, it's actually pretty straightforward. I certainly did not like Egghead. Sure. I thought he was a big jerk. He was a big jerk. I didn't like how much it focused on Kyle. You didn't like the how much it focused on Kyle? No, I'm sick of his Okay, he business. didn't really do that much, though. Like, he was a focal point, but, like, I don't think he even put on his outfit in this issue. That's fair. So, you know, there's that. Anyway, before we get too far into our thoughts on this story, last time we hit a giant-sized Defenders issue, we made what may have been, some would call it a mistake, (laughs) and we decided to accompany our reading with a flight of Manhattans. Rather than a mistake, I like to think of it as a slight miscalibration. A learning experience. Yes, four Manhattans was definitely too much. That's true. So for this giant-sized Defenders issue, we only have three Manhattans. <laughs> oh, the voice of reason. Exactly. So the way this is going to work is we're going to have one Manhattan while we talk about the reprints that happened in this issue. We're going to have our second Manhattan while we discuss the main story. And we will have a dessert Manhattan as we discuss the minutia. So you are ready to begin? Let's. Okay. As we are discussing the reprints, which are from a bygone era, we are going to start off with a classic Manhattan, one made with bourbon, sweet vermouth, and bitters, Angostino bitters, to be specific, and a fancy cherry. And here's to you, dear listener. Cheers. Apologies in advance. (laughs) So, what did you think of the reprints? Yeah, bygone era indeed. This was a very young Namor, although also promoted from Prince to King. Yeah, this is from 1941. This is an almost unrecognizable Namor in most regards. It's got a very oddly shaped head, much more long and wedge-shaped than normal. Much more triangular. I'm wondering if perhaps he was hit on the head a lot, because it's such a weird story. The thing that struck me immediately most about it is certainly not the strangest thing in the story, but it's how agreeable Namor is with the U.S. Army. Yeah, I had the same thing. They ask him to do something, and not only is is he like, yes, I will do this, but he says, of course I will, and calls the dude sir. Mm -hmm. They summon him to, like, some board meeting of the Health and Human Services Department or whatever it is. This is blowing my goddamn mind. Maybe at some point in the future, Namor got hit on the head really hard and it changed his personality to be the arrogant dude that we know. And maybe that's why his head is flatter and less triangular now. But you don't summon Namor. Namor never says the word sir unless it is followed by something very like, you're making a scene or sarcastic. Did humans not at this point do something terrible and like later they did? No, because, like, Namor starts off pissed off at surface dwellers, even more so than he ends up. Like, he's trashing Manhattan. I think once World War II kicked in, then they had him become almost instantly a much more sympathetic ally to the U.S. government. But, like, really from jump, Namor was, stupid surface dwellers, I'm gonna wreck all your shit. He was like a borderline villain and then kind of got brought into superheroics due to his popularity. 
And so when uh, Health and Human Services calls you and they're like, hey, we need you to swim this backpack of flu shots to Antarctica <laughs> or the Arctic. Which is which is the one by Alaska? I uh, that would be the Arctic. Yeah, so that one. Yeah, <laughs> he may have gone to Antarctica first. That was a lot of ocean ice. It was he. It was very chilly wherever he was. The whole story read kind of like there's an improv game that people do called "Fortunately, Unfortunately," mm. and that's what the whole story read as. Where like it'd be like, "Fortunately, this happened," and then somebody has to improvise. But unfortunately, this happened, and so. In the context of that story, it's, unfortunately, this small Alaska town had a flu outbreak. Fortunately, there was a serum. Unfortunately, they couldn't get the serum because there was too much ice. Fortunately, Namor could take it to them. And then where it really starts kicking in is the, all of these mistakes that Namor keeps making. Because he gets frozen in the ice. But fortunately, a plane crashes, and that thaws him out. Unfortunately, the pilot's no good. Fortunately, he can rescue the pilot. Unfortunately... It was too icy okay. in the village, and icebergs were going to crush the village, unfortunately. Ice ice bad. Right, ice is bad. Wow, he's got a plan to take care of that ice. Fortunately, I've got bombs. I can blow up all of this ice with bombs. Unfortunately... Bombs can sometimes be destructive, and he catches the whole town on fire. Fortunately, I've got this great ocean, and I can blow more shit up to put ocean water to put the fire out. Unfortunately, towns also don't like to be underwater in Arctic conditions. Fortunately, I'm going to try the exact same thing again and release all the water. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I feel like if they hadn't run out of pages, it just would have kept volleying back Yeah, and forth, I think so. Like, indefinitely. It, because it doesn't seem like necessarily blowing up all the gasoline in town should be the, well, that takes care of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree completely. It totally seemed like it would have just kept volleying back and forth indefinitely if the page count didn't run out. Because they didn't even really deal with him, like, administering the serum to anybody or fixing the town from the initial flu outbreak. It was just like, oh, I caught the town on fire. Shit. Okay, well, I'll put the town on water. Oh, shit. Water's bad, too. Uh, I'll freeze the town, maybe. Because nothing cures a flu outbreak like making everybody crawl up onto the roofs of their, of their shelters surrounded by icy water. Right. Good thinking. Mm -hmm. Great job, Namor. There was also a really weird bit where he first gets into the bomber plane and decides to start bombing things where he starts blowing up the icebergs and makes a comment that... That's better sport than bombing women and children. Mm -hmm. Is he making an indictment of the U.S. Army when he says that? Or is he just saying, well, I've tried both and this is better? Was it the U.S. Army or uh, some other foreign power that was blowing up women and children? I mean, I guess potentially it could have been, but that point really wasn't made and he was getting in a U.S. bomber. And it seemed like it wasn't like he found an old German Nazi plane and used that. So... It, it was just kind of kind of weird. Made no damn sense. No, but it was kind of fun in like a Golden Age comics kind of way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a very different Namor than we're used to seeing. Yep, I gotta say, and I'm not usually a fan of arrogance, but bring back the old Namor. I am, I am not normally a fan of arrogance, but I am a huge fan of arrogant Namor. He's the best. <laughs> He's just the best. But I will say, nice to see Namor again. So there was that. What did you think of the Doctor Strange story? 
Let's see. I wrote, bad job, Marlon Brando. Those are my only notes (laughs) from the the story. Now, you had perhaps confused Baron Mordo with Marlon Brando? It happened just when I was not really paying attention, and I was like, oh, that's weird. Oh, wait, no. That (laughs) That is not Marlon Brando. No. Maybe it is. He's a method actor. Uh, he has a certain transformative quality to his performances. Doctor Strange. I can't do his voice very well. Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. <laughs> you never come over for coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a good impression. But uh, was all right. Yeah, well, that was him as Baron Mordo. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of a nothing of a story. I felt like it, it was cool. I always appreciate the old Ditko art. It was another one of just like basically Doctor Strange fucking up and being dumb a bunch of times, but then triumphs in the end there was an old like robocall machine which was the thing that totally flummoxed him Mm -hmm. which i like that baron mordo is like getting out there trying new science shit that's going on sure he got like a modem hooked up to his phone that like automatically calls dr strange and says hey it's me a stranger i need help and dr strange is like i'll be there come to my address it is blah 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 well this doesn't seem suspicious at all it will be faster if I send my ghost soul self that can't be out of my body for too long. Oops. Up and away! Yeah, my, my entire notes for this were Robocall machine, pretty cool. Mordo is a dummo, so is Steve. Yep. Because at the end, Stephen Strange's solution, he gets Mordo's astral form out of his body and traps him the way that Steve had previously been trapped. After animating a weird wax museum figure of, I think, Fu Manchu or something like that. It really looked like David Lopin to me, but this is... This oh, predates shit! That, but it, it doesn't predate David Lopin. He's a very ancient creature. <laughs> ah, yes! <laughs> I love James Hong. Yeah. Yeah, good call. So yeah, Steve jumps into David Lopin's <laughs> wax <laughs> figure. And, the young version. Right. And attacks Mordo, which, you know, pretty great. Mm-hmm. Mordo was surprised. Sure. And then Mordo's like, I'll ghost it up too. And then... Ghost fight. Ghost fight. Steve wins. Steve's a very powerful ghost fighter. One of the best we got. Mm-hmm. But then Steve's solution to the whole malarkey is to just tell Baron Mordo that I want you to think about what you were doing and why it was wrong to murder me. That's it. Go to your room for a day and think about what you did and why it was wrong. I mean, it doesn't even explain... At all what he did. So he used his trappy thing to to separate the, the ghost body from the real body of sure, Mordo. Sure. And he's like, I'm going to keep you guys separated while you think about what you've done. That's yeah. it. Yeah. He he grounded him for a day. And Mordo even told him, like, you should probably try to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm going to do this again. And again. And again. This is like what I do, Steve. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> And Steve's like, no, I think you'll probably think about what you did and why it was wrong. Everything's going to be fine. You'll feel bad. Yes. Yeah, way to take the high road, Dr. Yeah, it's fucking bonkers, though. Dummy. Yeah, but, okay, even if you don't want to kill the dude, which, okay, fine. A lot of superheroes have no murder clauses in their contracts. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Maybe put the body in jail. And then when he gets back in the body, he'll be in jail. Yeah, I'll probably escape, but at least there's the thought that maybe he won't. Yeah, that bothered me as well. Yeah. Are you finished with your Manhattan? It was delicious. Thank you. Well, then I believe that means we are done with the flashback segment. All right. Manhattan number B (laughs) is one that I like to call the Mortimer Brewster. 
after Cary Grant's character in Arsenic and Old Lace. Uh, not that the cocktail contains arsenic or old lace. Oh, thank God. Yes. Uh, but because it is nutty, but sophisticated. <laughs> it is rye, a hazelnut liqueur, and lemon bitters. And here is a bit of lemon peel for you to rim the glass with. Thank you. And then just drop it in there. Indeed. Mortimer Brewster. Mortimer Brewster. Damn. That is drinkable. Thank you. So, we talked about it a little bit, but uh, how did you like the main story? I just, uh, I don't know. I think it was that it started off with this super mean thing being done with blowing people up and the nice lady who was cool and Kyle was being such a jerk to her in the last Defenders that we read about having aspirations and everything. Right. And then she basically gets blown up and all her aspirations are destroyed. Yeah. It's just kind of a bummer. I I totally understand that. There is a convention in comic books that I believe the phrase was coined by Gail Simone, that is women in refrigerators, uh, which is referencing a specific story in which a character's girlfriend got killed and chopped up and put in a refrigerator, and that that served as motivation for the male character to have his story arc. It's like every movie in the 70s with action. Pretty much. And a ridiculous amount of comic books, too. And that definitely is kind of what happens in this issue, although... It's definitely an example of that. It's not as bad as it is in some, mm-hmm. in part because it doesn't actually force Nighthawk to change his character and go for revenge of his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He's also in the hospital. It does kind of galvanize Yellow Jacket to go seek revenge, but it's really, it reads to me, and this is me giving a very generous read of it, he owes her a favor because she saved his life previously. Mm-hmm. And so it's more almost, it can be viewed as, I owe my old old war buddy a debt, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go take care of this problem for them. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mind the Yellow Jacket's motivation or the way that, that right. it was set up. And I enjoyed the kind of goof on, oh, these are the bad guys. Nope, those are the bad guys. Oh my gosh, we found these new right. bad guys. But I, one of the things that I did like about the, the trauma happening to Trish is that her trauma remains very much her story. Mm. it's this is something that she's going to have to deal with and consequences that she's going to have to suffer from. And it it talks about it in a, not in a great way, but in a better way than it does in a lot of comic books when something like this will come up. Either the character will just kind of go away, which she does go away at the end of it, but it does talk about why she is removing herself from the situation. And I, I think it actually makes sense in kind of a story arc kind of a way. And I like that it's her thing that she has to deal with. Mm-hmm. We might get that walked back totally in the next issue, and it might just be a, and this is why this horrible thing happening to his girlfriend changed Nighthawk. But in this arc, it kind of doesn't seem that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, might be might be different later. I freaking love Trish Starr. Uh, I think she's a great character. I really hope we see more of her. It kind of implies that maybe we will at some point. Hopefully she'll get like a bionic arm. Uh-huh. Like maybe can form a all bionic arm squad with Misty Knight. That'd be pretty dope. That'd be pretty dope. What did you think of Yellow Jacket? Oh man, that logo was so dumb on his chest. <laughs> what did you say it looked like? It looked like it a... looks like a flying banana. Yeah, it's really it, it, it's a little banana that has wings on it. And I'm a big fan of like super minimal graphic mm-hmm. design. I I love that stuff. But this is just silly looking. Yeah, there's a there's a way to do it, and this isn't it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a dot. 
with a banana and then some little wings. Oh, see, I saw even the dot as being like the handle of the banana. You know, like the little knobby bit on the end. Mm. Really yeah. just looked like a banana with wings to me. Yeah, pretty dumb. Yeah. Overall, I like the outfit. I like the look of the outfit. The little logo, you're right, problematic. Uh, we can talk more about that in sartorially speaking. The character of Hank Pym uh, is interesting to me. This is him as Yellow Jacket. He's also Ant-Man. He's also Goliath. Goliath is when he gets real big. It seems like when they give him different personas in Marvel Comics in general, they're just finding different kinds of asshole for him to be. <laughs> Generally, his his default asshole setting is basically he's a Stephen Strange kind of distracted asshole who's obsessed with science instead of magic. Mm -hmm. But that's his default setting asshole. Then, when he's Goliath, he's more of a Silver Surfer asshole because he's trapped in this too large body mm -hmm. uh, and he can't shrink back to normal size. But he's like, my humanity, I, I'm trapped in this body that I didn't create. And he's really, like, melodramatic mm -hmm. about shit. Just go find some cocaine and smash some icebergs. Exactly. But then, when he's Yellow Jacket, it's like, well, let's make him a Hawkeye-type asshole. Mm. And generally, that's what he is as Yellow Jacket. He's, like, swashbuckling and arrogant and wisecracking and entitled and that kind of an asshole. This version of Yellow Jacket isn't that bad. His argument with Jan makes no goddamn sense, and there's definitely some, like, machismo type of shit going on that doesn't make a ton of sense. Like, they're partners, and he's like, no, this is something I have to do for myself because of a private debt that I owe to this woman. It's gonna be so much easier to draw this issue without you there. I think that really is it. Also, he's like, I'm really mad, and I just don't want you to see what I'm gonna do to this guy. Gonna punch him so bad. He punches the guy in the face. She's seen you punch dudes in the face before. She's your wife, damn it. And you're like a professional face puncher. Yeah, that's pretty silly. Specifically, the way he does punch Egghead in the face is the dude slips and falls and is already out of the fight immediately. And then he's like, get up. And then he punches him in the face. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, my work here's done. Yep. <laughs> you stay passed out till the cops uh, show up. Yep. So, speaking of Egghead and this terrible thing that he does, Ugh. he's supposed to be some crazy super scientist, smart guy, sure. right? So, how does he know that removing the gasoline from the tank of a car which you're going to blow up will only maim people versus kill them? Like, that seems... Like, I get it, gasoline is flammable. Yeah. But... I don't get the impression that he's a very good evil genius. Mm. He had his plan we talked about earlier when... We first met Trish Starr back in Marvel feature number four, that he was going to, he built a device that would siphon off her intelligence and add it to his own. That device got blown up before they tried it. We don't know that it necessarily worked. Mm -hmm. He might just think he's smarter than he is. I kind of get that impression about him. I also just fucking, I mean, regardless of the blowing up the car and maiming his niece and being like, no, I didn't want to kill her. I just wanted to maim her because she made me mad because I wanted her money and she didn't give it to me. Mm -hmm. Egghead is what I hate about fucking nerd culture. Mm. There's, it's why I'm really resistant to the term nerd. Mm. Like, and I, I honestly think that it is a bad thing to call somebody because what it brings to mind to me is, I always differentiate it this way. A geek is somebody who's good at technology. <laughs> which is great, and I don't consider that an insult at all. A dork is someone who's an enthusiast for usually pop culture. 
nerd to me always connotes this egghead, and I don't mean egghead as a pejorative, I mean as this character, type of persona where there is a sense of superiority that goes along to it. That it's this, yes, they are often teased and they are bad socially, but rather than being bad socially, they view that as a virtue, that they're above social functions, you know, and that, that there's this looking down on social intelligence that accompanies it. It may just be that that's my definition, but there there's that idea behind it, and that's what I feel like Egghead personifies and what I really hate about Egghead. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> really geeked out on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a real dork for nomenclature. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I fucking hate Egghead. He's such a prick. I think my note about Egghead was just, Egghead, what a fuck nut. I think, though, too, like, back on the nerd topic, mm-hmm. is that there has, at least, I, and I don't know when it started, but been somewhat of a cultural shift for it to be like, oh, no, it's cool to be nerdy about such and such. Yeah. And it really, in a lot of ways for me loses track not like i was a super nerd or whatever but you know right. being a kid like before you know i played D before it was cool man like people gave <laughs> gotcha. you shit about it yeah and being in a computer is and wait is D cool <laughs> that might have been a <laughs> uh, i think it i think it's now like dork cool okay. you know like i think it's it's basically for the past like 15 years it's kind of cool to be a dork okay or at least there's less stigma attached to it I think. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend's not super impressed when I spend all day Saturday doing that, but... <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, weird. But, like, you're a rogue. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I know. <laughs> dashing. You talked a little bit about the beginning with Nighthawk and Trish right before they get blown up. Mm-hmm. There's a weird scene where they're being interviewed, they're being kind of harangued by the paparazzo because this is the first we really see that Kyle Richmond is a celebrity wealthy person. Mm-hmm. He's a real billionaire, playboy, Bruce Wayne type dude. Mm-hmm. And whatever he does is news in the society pages. Mm-hmm. There's a weird thing where, I mean, Kyle's kind of a dick, right? Mm-hmm. In general. We've talked about that a lot. Sure. He says something that Trish interprets as him being woke. And I don't know that that was necessarily the case. Oh, you think he was just being super sexist? I think think more in character for him to be super sexist than it is for him to be woke. You don't understand sarcasm. (laughs) This is is coming up again. Okay, that has come up before. I'm just going to read this section, though. After all, can you men imagine me married to a hippie who intends to give up modeling as soon as she has the funds to open an artist community upstate? A reporter says... Is that for real? We heard she played a couple of instruments, but... And he goes on, it's like, Piano, guitar, flute, and violin. And she holds a master's in social psychology. Another reporter says, Then that child prodigy story is true? Why is she working as a model? And he says, Because she was born female. You can figure the rest out yourselves. Trish at that point is very proud of him and thinks, Far out, Kyle. My little consciousness-raising program is finally sinking in. Mm-hmm. I think it's entirely possible that he was just saying... Figure it out. <laughs> yeah, figure it out. She's a woman. Of course she's doing that. Rather than what Trish thinks is happening, where Kyle is saying, because of institutional sexism, that's why. Mm. I think it's somewhere in the middle. Okay. 
You think he's in the very early stages of being woke? Yeah. Yeah, he's like yawning, <laughs> scratching. The, the the music in the background is... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you're, I think you're being a little bit charitable, as is Trish, but I'll... I'll go with it. I want to see some growth in this character. Because he was such a goddamn fuck not last issue. Oh my gosh. That is true. I think that's just still too fresh in my mind for uh, for me to totally give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. So immediately after that happens, they're like, hey, where's your driver? And he's like, all right, I'm a big boy now. I'm going <laughs> to drive myself. And, and then he turns the ignition and boom. Yep. They blow up. Yep. Next up, hospital. Yeah. Doctor ha- Doctor Strange and... Magnum P.I. sort of operate on uh, well, wait, wait, wait. his For, friend. Yeah, so like Steve Steve bumps into an old doctor pal mm-hmm. who you think looks like Magnum P.I. In one panel, he looks a little bit like Tom Selleck. See, I really don't see it. He has a fuller mustache than Steve's. He has a similar mustache to Tom Selleck. Other than that, I don't see the Tom Selleck. It's just one panel. Okay. I, I saw that panel too. As Steve is operating, he gets bored with the surgery, I guess. And just starts daydreaming about his buddy, the Hulk? Well, yeah, but is that the point at which he goes, like, through the whole roster? Yes. He thinks of everybody that they've teamed up with before. And my first thought during that was like, oh, God, they're bringing back. They're they're all going to show up. We're going to see. Yeah, he does mention Hawkeye. He's like, oh, grown. Yeah, but One Nighthawk is enough. Exactly. And, I mean, you've got Yellow Jacket, too, so that's, like, kind of two Hawkeyes. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not I, a bird name though. No, but it does fly. I mean, it, what is an insect but a tiny bird? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a scientist, Corey, but I'm pretty sure an insect is just a tiny bird. Different number of legs. I'm pretty sure that an insect is a tiny bird. They do both have wings. They both have wings. They both fly around. They're both assholes. <laughs> <laughs> not all of them. Honeybees are great. They're fine. Flight of the Bumblebee. Corey, I do like honeybees. I'm sorry. It's okay. I like some birds, too. Beaky's a good guy. That's true. All right. There we go. Yeah. See? I'm just saying if you're going to name your superhero after a flying being, (laughs) which I believe scientifically is called a bird. (laughs) Or an insect. Same thing. If it's a flying insect, then it's just a very small bird. Or like a bat. That's a bird. Batman's an asshole, too. Uh, bat's a, not a bird. Pretty sure a bat's a bird, Corey. It's got wings. It flies around. Got named after it's an asshole. Don't bats have live births? Hmm? They don't have eggs, do they? Is always a platypus a bird? Well, that's a... Ah! So Steve is running through the roster of all the people the Defenders have teamed up with and thinking, maybe I could get them to help me out. Mm, yes, that's where we were. And of them... The Hulk shows up. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Steve also sent out a inadvertent telepathic summons to all of the other heroes so that they could help him avenge Nighthawk, which is the thing that he was thinking of doing? And all of the other heroes were just like, yeah, fuck it, it's Nighthawk. <laughs> or it's Steve. Like Namor last time. Just like, dude, never call me again. You're a dick. Out. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's that aspect of it as well. I choose to think that... They were all just like, yeah, I, I don't care. Some Somebody blew up Nighthawk? Yeah, whatever. I'm busy. Yep. So I think that a telepathic summons did get sent out to Son of Satan 
and Daredevil and Power Man and Thor. Thor and did he didn't say Thor? Did he? No, but I'm just going through my own <laughs> roster. Okay, probably to Thor. Okay, fair enough. And Namor and the Silver Surfer. And they're all just like, yeah, but whatever. Good luck with that, buddy. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, oh, I must have a very strong telepathic bond because the Hulk showed up. Because the Hulk is a very good friend in this issue. It's pretty he cool. Is. He Man, what a good guy. Okay, he's a little quick to judge occasionally. But you know what the Hulk believes in? Friendship. And the transitive power of friendship. If you are a friend, then you are Hulk's friend, and that is great. If you are a friend of Hulk's friend, then that means you are Hulk's friend. Yeah. If you are an enemy of Hulk's friend, then that means you are Hulk's enemy. Mm -hmm. So the Hulk clearly believes in the transitive power of friendship. Which he's been reading the Art of War. (laughs) Okay. Is that a thing in there? It's, uh, you know. No, I don't. I've never read the Art of War. I've heard it referred to a number of times. The phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend or something like that. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lao Tzu. Yeah, I know it's Lao Tzu. And the Thor. And Thor. Yeah, they co-wrote that book together. Good job. They like wars. Turns out two Manhattans is still a fair amount of Manhattans. (laughs) Yep. We see that not only when the doctor who helped save Nighthawk's life encounters the Hulk. The Hulk shows up, meets this doctor who you think looks like Tom Selleck, but doesn't look like Tom Selleck. In one panel. Says, are you trying to hurt Birdnose? And Steve's like, whoa, 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 chill, buddy. He helped me save Birdnose. And the Hulk's like, you helped Hulk's friend? Then you are Hulk's friend. Mm -hmm. And then Doctor Strange is like, come on, I'm going to take your new friend out of here, buddy. To -hmm. his doctor buddy, which is kind of a cute moment. Yeah. Then, later on, Hulk is outside, dressed incognito, totally unrecognizable. Totally. Wearing a fedora and trench coat, holding on to Aragorn, the winged horse. Mm-hmm. And a cop comes and starts hassling them because that cop is the dumbest human being in the universe. Dude, you can't park that horse with wings here. <laughs> doesn't even notice that the horse has wings. Doesn't notice that this dude in a trench coat is the fucking Hulk or some other being who's like nine feet tall and built like a goddamn refrigerator mm-hmm. and just starts hassling them. And Hulk is like, you hate my horse? You hate Aragorn? Then you're a jerk. I'll smash you. And Doctor Strange has to come out and says, no, 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 he doesn't hate Aragorn. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Put him down. But God, that 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 cop is so dumb. Yeah, I I mean, granted, it's a pretty awesome disguise, but still. Yeah, it's an awesome disguise. The Hulk is big. Where did they find that trench coat? I gotta believe that the Marvel Universe has, like, crazy big and tall stores. So if you're crazy, you're big, or you're tall. Then you get a trench coat and a fedora, and that's all that they sell. Hmm. And I think they probably do a pretty brisk trade. I'll say. Fucking Godzilla comes to town. Mm-hmm. Let's swing by that place. Mm-hmm. The things there are fucking bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if that means every other week or twice a week, but either way, he's there a lot. Fucking the Hulk or the Hulk's buddies keep swinging by that place for him. Mm-hmm. Aqualad will stop by if he's ever in the Marvel Universe. Oh, yeah. You got to have your hat and your coat. Yeah, man. Cover up those sea-strengthened limbs. Do it. Yeah. I don't know why you bother wearing a hat and trench coat if you're doing it to fool someone who doesn't notice that a horse has wings. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think the disguise wasn't predicated on the fact, the belief that New York's finest can't tell the difference between a horse with wings and a horse without wings. 
It yeah. OHS predicated on hat and trench coat works every time. Fair enough. Horse totally had wings. Though. Yeah, that that horse had a lot of wings. Big wings. Two of them. Giant wings. Yeah. Even for a horse. Yeah, biggest ones we got. I mean, a Pegasus. Yeah, which is uh, technically a kind of bird. I thought it was an insect. <laughs> Same thing, Corey. Oh, all right. What did you think of the art? Uh, it was it was good. I actually liked it a lot. It's Don Heck, who is much maligned. We have come across his work a couple of times before. I know we did back in the Teen Titans run, actually, in the later stages of that. Hmm. He turned in a not-so-great entry in that. In this, I think we see what a lot of people's problem with Don Heck's art is. I think he's a really good artist. I don't think he's necessarily the best suited to superhero comics. Hmm. He does an okay job with those, but in the scenes where it's civilians hanging out, they're fucking gorgeous. Like the opening scene where it's Kyle and Trish getting into the car, or the scene where there's the operating table scene. That was really good, yeah. Yeah, those are the kind of things that you see more in like romance comics or like in advertising work. And I think that's the type of shit that Don Heck like really generally shines at. And I think he does a great job with that. Um, I really dug that. The inks in this are by Vince Coletta, who's another person who I think we, we've definitely talked about him before. He's another person who gets a lot of shit. He inked a lot of Jack Kirby stuff and had a reputation for trying to make less work for himself if he could. Mm. Kirby was really meticulous with his pencils and like would have a ton of background shit and a bunch of like beeps and boops on a t- bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it seemed like too much, Vince Coletto had a tendency to just erase some of the pencils and put in thick lines of ink over it. But in this issue, I think he does a really good job with Don Heck stuff. Mm. And yeah, I liked the art. Thought it was pretty good. Pretty good. What did you think of the reappearance of the Squadron Sinister? Uh, Mostly, I was just confused. Yeah, man. I knew something bad happened to him. I couldn't remember exactly what, but I thought they were gonzo. They got blown up. Like, they got blown up and apparently vaporized when that giant laser cannon that Nighthawk helped them build went kablooey. Oh, that's right, when he got resurrected and got a little bit of strange in him. Yeah, and there's not even a, like, nod to... Like, they mentioned that, oh, we thought they were all dead, but as to how they are not dead, uh, nope, they're just not. We've only been back for a week from... Wherever. Vacation. Sure. We didn't bring Nebulon with us this time. Thank God. He's out getting his fucking cosmic onesie cleaned on the planet of Lubberdubberdubbers? The Lubberdites. The Ludberdites? Ludberdites. Yeah, do you think they're Luddites? I don't think they like machines. Okay. Nor technology. So you think that they're a race of space people who don't like all of their space technology? Hub. Yes? To them, we are space people. Whoa! <laughs> Yeah. I'm starting to get woke to the space people. Okay. It's about time, man. I know. I'm sorry. Time to reopen our factory. Man, I've been so terry about this shit. I know. Squadron's back. Sinisters. I love that the Hulk doesn't bother to learn any of their names and just refers to each of them as Sinisters. It's a bunch of jerks. They are a bunch of jerks. There's... Although, I do think he should have learned the wizard, because that is the funniest bad guy name. It is more of an insult to call him by his name than it is to call him by an insult. Stupid wizard, instead of stupid sinister. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, let's take a look at a little bit of Hulk's dialogue as he is fighting them. He smashes through the wall and says, Hulk smash sinisters. Pretty good. But it doesn't really kick in for me until he starts referring to them individually as sinister. Sinisters put chains on Hulk. Now Hulk will squash them. Flat. Dumb sinister goes for gun. No gun can hurt Hulk. Pretty good. I enjoyed that. Doctor Strange makes a weird comment about how Doctor Spectrum is the weakest of the Squadron Sinister. Mm. I mean, that might be true physically, but he's incredibly powerful. He's basically the Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. Yeah. yeah. That it seems like a weird, like, well, we don't need to worry about him. All he can do is summon any object with the power of his mind. And he fought me to a standstill last issue. And I'm Stephen Strange, the uh, Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, but he's a real nerd. <laughs> yeah. He's a real poindexter. Real egghead. But yeah, he ends up kind of foiling them. Nice to see the Squadron Sinister, I guess. Nice to see with a wizard, frankly. Nice to laugh at his name. Yeah. I want the real wizard to start showing up. The Golden Age wizard. <laughs> uh, Golden Age wizard is rad. <laughs> Yo, mongoose blood wizard. Love that fucking dude. Uh, Fully yellow uniform for him. Well, as it should be. Yeah, well, he's the Golden Age wizard. The Hulk has some interesting and kind of complicated for him problem solving that he does in this issue. He realizes almost immediately that he's not going to be able to pound Hyperion into submission. And so he's like, okay, well then I'll deafen you by making a super loud thunderclap. That's pretty impressive for the Hulk. I agree. And it does a great job and has the inadvertent uh, side effect of shattering the prism that is basically Dr. Spectrum's power ring. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, saved the day. Yeah, done a great job. Good job, Hulk. I'm happy for him. I also really like that Hulk, just like Aragorn is his friend. Yeah. It's just like totally cool with it. Like, he lo he's an animal lover. Yeah, it's great. I did have a thing about a part of dialogue that I was confused at. Could be having to do with our confusion about sarcasm. Okay, what you got? It's the part where Doctor Strange is by Kyle's bedside after mm -hmm. the surgery, comes to check in on him, and Kyle says, Hey, Doc, thanks for patching me up. And Doctor Strange says, Oh, no, it wasn't me. I was just consulting. It was my buddy Tom Selleck who put you back together. And Kyle says to him something to the effect of, For once, don't be so modest. Or don't be so modest for once. Is he be, is he being like like normally you're a total pop his ass all the time, but this time you know you earned it or the I think, opposite? I think he's saying the opposite. I think he's saying that, he's a fucking dummy. Then yeah, well, or he's just that arrogant that <laughs> oh it canceled that out compared to him. <laughs> Maybe so. Doctor Strange seems like the soul of modesty. What a humble man. What or a... just that Kyle doesn't fucking listen, and so as far as he knows. Doctor Strange. I think it really is just Kyle being oblivious. Man, they are peas in a pod. They really are. They get along very, very well, generally. It's good. They just really cancel each other. <laughs> they really <laughs> do. It's, I think they both don't listen to each other enough that they just have the general assumption that the other person is fantastic and, yeah, never pay enough attention to have facts contradict that. That's probably the case, <laughs> yeah. In many ways, the perfect relationship for them both. Yeah, yeah Doctor Strange in that one instance, he was listening. He said, yes, I am quite modest. <laughs> Very good. I knew I liked that bird-nosed fellow. Kudos to me for only <laughs> spacing out for a moment during your surgery. Indeed. Well, are you ready to move on to the minutia? 
I think so. Then let's pour our final dessert, Manhattan, and let Rick sing us in. Hit it, Rick! We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thank you so much, Rick. Our third and thank God final uh, Manhattan. <laughs> Man, maybe for the next one, two Manhattans. <laughs> it's, a, it's a process. It's a scientific method. So, our final Manhattan is a dessert Manhattan. It is scotch, coffee liqueur, and chocolate bitters with a little bit of amaretto cherry juice and an amaretto cherry. That I call it delightful. the Bullet Club because it is frankly a little too sweet. That's a pro wrestling joke. Yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Ooh, sweet and smoky. Yeah, pretty good. That's a sophisticated dessert drink. Thank you. Indeed. So, what do you want to hit first? There was almost too many outfits to choose from. There were, and just a brief note, the minutia is going to cover all three of the stories. It'll probably concentrate mostly on the main story, but if there is a favorite panel you have or a favorite sound effect from one of the reprints, that is fair game. Good to know. So, sartorially, what do you want to talk about? So that opening panel that you mentioned with the paparazzo? That is, paparazzi, yeah. Paparazzi? Yeah. many of them? Is that one or two? I don't even know how that uh, works. I think it's... The picture men are there. The picture people. Yep. Taking their pictures. Yep. Everybody's wearing some kind of crazy-ass plaid... Yeah, I had made note of that too. The one that specifically struck me is there's that one reporter with a like floor length, I think yellow and black plaid trench coat. It is so badass. It's so loud. It's so good. Do you remember that record I had of that that funk band called the Southside Movement? Of course I do. Yeah, like they were all wearing tailored plaid suits Uh with big 70s plaids and large lapels. Yeah, this isn't quite that good, but it's real, real good. Mm Mm-hmm. This panel specifically is when I'm like, oh shit, Don Heck did a ton of fucking romance comics. Because that's totally what it looks like. But yeah, no, that that dude is dressed rad. We got some green, green like almost polka dot trench coats. And snow is falling also, just in terms of not the clothes, but the panel. panel, Yeah, fucking Trish Stars wearing a dope like fucking fur lined French. I don't know why I said French. (laughs) Oh, it's it's yours. It's probably French. You probably read a lot of... It's pretty classy. Chanel magazines. Oh, you know, man, that that is a fact. Chanel Vogue magazines. Yeah, man, I read all of those Chanel's. I watched Chanel Zero. (laughs) That's not even a joke. Did you make a fly spinach fly joke? She watched Channel Zero? Did you not know that that New Hampshire funk band was covering a Public Enemy song, Corey? I had that little mental slip there. I thought you pointed out it's all. Anyway, yeah, Trish is wearing <laughs> this, uh, apparently, I think it's French jacket that has these fur-lined cuffs and collar that are fucking dope. Everybody looks great in this panel, but there's a lot of interesting fashion happening. And yeah, mostly I love the way the press is dressed in this. Wintertime, like, plaid jackets that look fucking great. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit already about Yellow Jacket's outfit. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really cool looking outfit for the most part. I think that either Don Heck or Vince Coletta decided not to draw wings on it. I'm pretty sure that the outfit had wings. It um, mentioned something about... Yeah, but they are never depicted. Maybe it's just those the little like V-shaped these things that go the up giant over shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. Like they're what enable his flight. Maybe with the exception of the flying banana, it's a cool looking outfit. I think they could have just left that off. Also, I fucking hate yellow jackets. 
Oh yeah, no, they're assholes. Do you remember when they? Yeah. 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 My my stepdad Jim, your dad, poured a pot of boiling water over a nest of yellow jackets or ground hornets. I think they were. They were black and yellow. Yeah, but that's not why they attacked us, though. That was retribution. They got inside of your shirt and my hat somehow. We were, we, we were, we were outside and we were playing. Yep. And it was hot out, so. I took my my outer shirt off. You took your hat off. We threw it on this pile of bark dust uh-huh. where there was a nest of these fuckers. Oh, God. And they infested our clothing, and we didn't know that. We put our clothing back on. Went inside, and, like, this is, like, 15 minutes later, something like that. It's like they're pre- like premeditated shit. It was like they knew, and they were just like, all right, now's the time. Let's sting these fuckers. Go. Go. And they went, and... Neither one of us had any idea what was happening. They stung my head a bunch of times <laughs> and the tops of my ears because I used to tuck my ears into my hat like an idiot. Um, and they were all up in your shirt and they started stinging you. And we were both just freaking out. And my sister Meg thought it was the funniest goddamn thing in the world and then went and locked herself in the bathroom so that we couldn't use the bathroom and get the bugs off of us. Not cool. Not cool at all. Boo. Boo, Yellow Jackets. Boo, Meg. <laughs> she was being a real black fire in that situation. Yeah. We forgive you, Meg. Yellow Jackets, not so much. Yeah. But it's a pretty cool outfit. Yep. Egghead also had a pretty sweet, like, it didn't look good, but it looked appropriate that he was kind of a Bowery bum at this point, wearing a another, like, kind of shittier plaid trench coat type thing. He is such a fucking asshole. Yeah. I, I can't believe he didn't get his ass kicked worse than he did by going back to his flop house and just insulting everybody there, like, yeah. pretty much constantly. But that's what I'm talking about. Like, just talking about how much smarter he was at th- than them and looking down on them and shit. And, and then backhanding one of them when they questioned his genius. Yeah. He's a real piece of shit. He's terrible. Boo. Also, speaking of fashion, it's... There were a couple of panels where he looked a lot like Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. That's true. I was wondering, I guess, similar to Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, um, what is the word for what's like a monocle, but there's two of them? I know it's not bionicle, because those are toys. I think it's just called glasses, but I know what you mean. They don't have the things that go over your ears. He looks like he is just wearing two monocles. You're right. Maybe he is. Yeah. I think they're... It's like, I invented this look. It's cool. <laughs> you know what's more aristocratic than a monocle? Two monocles. Two monocles. <laughs> Take that, Mr. Peanut. Yes. I also had the scene where uh, Hank and Janet Pym are hanging out. She's uh-huh. got a vest on that looks like it has like a faux giraffe print on it. Let's take a look. Oh, yeah. It's like a green leopard print vest. Pretty crazy. And he's wearing a super tight, like, purple uh, sweater. No, you're right. It is definitely more giraffe print than leopard print. It is a green giraffe print vest, and it is fucking rad. Mm-hmm. Do you know what her profession is, apart from superheroing? I do not. Is she a science lady? She's a fashion designer. Well, there you go. Exactly. She also is a science lady, but that gets downplayed a lot. She is uh, Henry Pym's lab assistant, who is always getting in the way, because she's just a woman. Mm. It's really, really shitty reading their old stuff. Mm. Um, You know how among... Irish punk rock musicians, Shane McGowan is considered an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Among Silver Age Marvel characters written by Stan Lee, Hank Pym is considered a misogynist. (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. Damn. 
Yeah. That's a high bar or a low bar. I don't know which bar it is. It's one it's of those. It's a shitty though. bar. It's a shit bar. Yeah, fuck that bar. Worst bar we got. In this giant-sized Defenders issue, who just had to be a sucker? Who had to act like the Fat Boys did in Crush Groove and act in a way contrary to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthered the plot? I I had two options, and uh, I'm going to go with the first. Okay. And my first option was, was Nighthawk. Okay. How was Nighthawk acting differently than he normally did? We've touched on two parts but not so much in his nighthawk persona but his his, well he didn't appear in his nighthawk persona in this issue his kyle except around the cover persona yeah good point the cover is very misleading as they often are yeah two things we already touched on he's rights of spring is playing he's he's beginning (laughs) to become partially woke that's one in the car, he acknowledges that, you know, hey, maybe there's something going on with, with gender and sexism. There might be some institutionalized sexism. Yeah. Oh, my God. Boom. Whoa. Yeah. And then uh, the other is also he's driving himself. And he tells the <laughs> press, they're like, whoa, where's your chauffeur? And he's like, no, no, I can afford it. I'm just trying to do things on my own. I feel like the fact that a lampshade is hung on those things, that, that it is acknowledged that they are out of character, makes them less eligible for the gotta be a sucker category which is why i went with namor because in that reprint oh shit you are right like he calls a dude sir you're right you're right namor can't call somebody sir namor doesn't help out the u.s army namor doesn't show up when summoned i know it's it's an older characterization but it's still like i was like that's not my namor yeah i know you said that we could focus the minutia on everything but i didn't okay that's so, fair but yeah if you if we had damn you're right yeah the the only other kind of sucka ish thing that happened from the main story was dr strange's like hulk you just wait out here for bird nose and he'll be fine hulk's like okay that and the fact that hulk also displayed remarkable problem solving abilities in terms of making a sonic boom mm-hmm. i could see hulk being a valid choice He's in a lot that more regard. thoughtful than yeah other issues Let's move on to sound effects. In this issue, what was your favorite sound effect? Oh, my favorite sound effect from the main story in this one was a a multi-panel spread. I know the one you're talking about. And it's it's hyphenated, and it's... Kada-da-woom! I believe that's pronounced (laughs) Kada-da-whoom? Who does that belong to? I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's rad. It's spread out over pages, and it's Kada-da-whoom! Or wom boom it's w-h-o-m which i mean does <laughs> spell whom the silent b uh <laughs> yeah but big noise it's yeah it's a, that is the sonic boom sound that the hulk is making mm-hmm. i believe it's like an echo yeah and it's really cool and there's a lot of really good ones there's a choom that shows up at one point my favorite sound effect though maybe my favorite sound effect ever is from the namor story and it is the sound effect idea (laughs) yeah this is one of the things i love about golden age comics they were still working out what sound effects were and how that worked because there is an impact noise of namor having an idea and it just says idea it totally makes sense though because it's it's superimposed over those gasoline tanks and he's just like you know um fuck 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 everything i do is bad (laughs) oh my god these things 
Like, I'll blow it up. I love the idea that the word idea is an onomatopoeia. <laughs> I like that, that too. That having an idea is the noise that it makes is idea. Yeah, it really, really tickled me. And so it should. I did have one one last one, which is kind of a minor one, but it's I think it's Yellow Jacket has bodily grabbed the wizard. Okay. Like by the scruff of his neck and the his shorts and is like like battering ramming his head into the wall <laughs> and it makes this noise chunt. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a gross word. It indicates he didn't hit him that hard though. Like like yeah. he's like I'm just going to knock this guy out so it's like <laughs> That's pretty good. Like I said, there were actually a fair amount of, of pretty cool sound effects in the main story, but I just got immediately sidelined by idea. What do you feel like hitting up next? How about uh, panels? Okay. What was your favorite panel? So artistically, my favorite one, I think, was that opening panel with all the fashion stuff we talked about. Yeah, that was a real good one, but there were also some real goof-em-ups. Yep. And the goof-em-ups are, are my favorite ones. And okay. I think my first favorite one is, is just the Hulk in disguise, like wearing a trench coat in the floor. I, I had that too. It's on page 19 and I called it Horse Watcher. <laughs> He's just holding a Pegasus on the leash, wearing a trench coat, hanging out. The cop's like, hey, you can't park that thing here. You can see his <laughs> jorts poking out from <laughs> under the trench coat. They're not jorts. It's, I always thought those as corduroy. You think he's wearing purple corduroy? Yeah. I don't know what's I think they're just purple slacks. Gotta be cords. I think could uh, they honestly could be jeans. I've seen purple jeans, man. I mean, at this point, it's the seventies. Yeah, I think all jeans were purple. Oh, yeah, they ran out of. They ran out the of others. blue. They were using them all for the war. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I'm good at history, Corey. <laughs> yeah, one of our best. Best we got. Yeah, I also actually really liked. Uh, aside from goofery. On page 17, the surgery page, the the panels of that of just like Doctor Strange and his friend who doesn't look like Tom Selleck that you think looks like Tom Selleck doing surgery in this operating room. It looked really cool and it was just really well done. There was also a panel that I very much enjoyed that was Yellow Jacket shaking his fist into the air. <laughs> I had that too. <laughs> it's great. I called it fist shake. Hank Pym steps slowly away from the bed. Mute with anger, silently shakes his fist at the sky without even speaking. His meaning is clear. It's after he has just finished talking to Trish, he just goes over to the corner and silently shakes his fist at the sky. I'm going to start doing that when I'm mad about things. <laughs> just be like, okay, well, I'm glad we worked this out. Like, and then just walk over to the corner and just angrily shake your fist at the sky in front of the person you were just talking to. Uh -huh. I love that idea. Thank you. I think that is a great, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it a life hack. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. That is like some next level passive aggressive shit, mm -hmm. and I am 100% about it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that panel's just great. Mm -hmm. Those are also some of my favorite words. Uh, what were some of your favorite words? My favorite words come from my favorite name, Betty the Wizard. Okay. And it's the scene in which the panel in which he, he knocks out Doctor Strange when they first all get together. And what does he say? He says... A little fast and fancy footwork, and the wizard clips the wizard. <laughs> that is dope wordplay. I thought so. Well done, wizard. Well done, Corey. 
Thank you. I had on page 27 a thing I call Hulk sass because I just love me a fucking sassy Hulk. That is the Hulk backhanding Hyperion and saying, shut up. Hulk knows you blew bird nose up. Made him sick. And then later says, huh, dumb sinister goes for gun. No gun can hurt Hulk. I know it's minor. I just love the Hulk. And I love him saying bird nose. And I love him saying, referring to a person getting caught up in an explosion as make them sick. Like, just that kind of reductive reasoning. I really, really enjoy from the Hulk. And I always like a sassy Hulk. My favorite words, however, belong to... A character who we do not see in this issue, but is a gossip columnist within the Marvel Universe named Rhoda. Mm. Rhoda Barnett, in fact, a syndicated TV gossip monger who has the first words of the issue, which are a caption which reads, For several weeks now, Kyle Richmond, millionaire jet setter, alleged beautiful person, (laughs) has been seen exclusively in the company of model Trish Starr touted by those who know as the face of 1975. Her body isn't bad either. Do we hear wedding bells in the future? Or only the jangling of silver? The reason that is my favorite, I like the phrase alleged beautiful person. Mm -hmm. That is some great shade. The phrase, is that wedding bells we hear? Or only the jangling of silver? What does that imply? I can think of a few... That was one of them! That was like, wait, so... Okay, you're you're saying one of three things. Either they're not really getting married, they're just eating too many meals. Like cutlery is one option for jangling of silver. Sure. I guess maybe just saying that they're rich, they have a lot of silver to jangle around. Mm -hmm. Seems like gold would be more appropriate for that. Sure. Or she is saying that they got 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's probably it. And I honestly, the three of them make a similar amount of sense. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was a 70s thing. Yeah, I think during that time, everybody was betraying Jesus. Couldn't no, get no. enough of it. It was oh, all just part of the no, time. No, no, no. The jangling of silver. Oh, really? Yeah. Just, everybody's <laughs> just walking around jangling silver. I don't know. I think Godspell came out. I think the betrayal of Christ was just on everybody's mind. Ah. Hot topics of the day. Indeed. You had your Jesus Christ superstar. Sure. You had your Godspell. Mm-hmm. You had the actual betrayal of Christ. General just Hospital. All of those. Yeah, General Hospital. That's a good show. Yep. Um, <laughs> Led Zeppelin. They were a band. All of it. There were so many yeah. things in the 70s. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Earth tones. Uh, it's yeah, yeah, your yeah. Earth tones, Led Zeppelin, the betrayal of Christ. Just, take your pick. Man. Really. J- yeah. Jangle your silver, take the your The 70s. Mm-hmm. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why those were my favorite words. Yeah, jingle jangle. Jingle jangle. <laughs> twinkle twinkle bobble. Every issue of a Defender's comic book has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, Corey, who is the worst offender? This is a little bit of a stretch. Okay. But, so, I feel kind of bad about this, but the, the ending of it was Kyle and, and Trish are... Are you having Trish as your worst offender? No, no. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 it's come to the end, and uh-huh. she's like, I'm out of here, I got shit to figure out. And he's like, no, baby, don't go. I, I like you a lot. Yeah. And she's like, do you want to put a ring on it? 
And he's like, no, I'm not ready to do that. But in my head, he started to make kind of an inappropriate joke because her left arm is blown off. <laughs> Where would I put that? Where am I going to? What am I going to put that on? And he's like, no, 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 it's, I'm just not ready for that. Is what he said. But the, so wait, 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 the fact that he, the, the, the fact, fact that, that he in thought, your mind he first thought of a quip that he didn't make or think in the comic book, but in your head canon he did, makes him the worst offender. Do you disagree that it is something that would have crossed his mind? <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I think it's great. That is why he is the worst. I also had him as my worst offender. Mostly, I honestly, it came down to him and Val. Neither one of them did that much in the issue. Mm. Val- Valkyrie was, unfortunately, fairly typically for her late adventures, pretty ineffective. Mm-hmm. Kyle was also ineffective, but had the idea that got them all captured by sending them after the Sinister Squadron in the first place. Totally wrong. And yeah, he was just wrong. Uh, as he didn't I said, even know they were they were supposed to be blown up. Yeah, his whole reasoning was, was like, wait, aren't they blown up? He's like, well, they're the only person who could people who could possibly dislike me. <laughs> oh my god! I I mean I can't imagine anyone else having a reason to dislike me. Dude, you have been so bad with your fucking business dealing. Like... He's such a Hawkeye. Yeah, he's a total Hawkeye. Yeah. Kyle. <sighs> Kyle. But yeah, so I decided to go with Nighthawk. It ended up working out okay, but not the best. Not the best. <laughs> no, the worst, in fact. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> worst <laughs> offender. Conversely, every issue of a Defenders comic, including the giant size issues, have a best defender. In this issue, Corey, who was your best defender? I can answer that with three syllables. Kada whom? <laughs> Kada, I'm sorry, you're right. In this issue, Kada whom was the best defender? The Hulk solves problems. The Hulk <laughs> knows who his friends are. The Hulk knows knows who his foes are the hulk is the best the hulk looks great in a trench coat yes no the the hulk understands the transitive properties of friendship the hulk does some great problem solving the hulk i agree is the best he's a good horse watcher too inadvertently destroys the not green lantern's power ring exactly yeah just all around the hulk is a fucking delight on every level in this issue yep as a backup, I had Stephen Strange. He actually did a very good job. Mm-hmm. Um, worked as a consulting surgeon, so utilized his more terrestrial powers. Was uncharacteristically modest. <laughs> Although mean, Kyle didn't just, notice. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Difficult to tell without understanding what sarcasm is. Yep. But I, I will say that Stephen Strange did a wonderful job in this issue. I think the thing that eliminates him, in addition to the Hulk doing a very good job, is that in his solo story, he did a very bad job. He did such a bad job. He's just a dummy. He emerged victorious. Yeah. But not for long. No. no. Roland Brando is going to come back. Yeah. And mess him up. Indeed he is. So... In the giant Size Defenders issue, we have a separate set of rules for the long and winding path. Uh, we could say that. Do you have a, something else you'd like to say? Well, we've we've already covered it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. But in the memorial to Malcolm Young. Uh, R.I.P. Malcolm Young. I love ACDC. I love them so much. They're great. Malcolm Young wasn't the one who hired somebody to kill us. No, nah, that was a drummer, I think. Okay, good. When I saw them play live, the drummer had bifocals on, and they showed him on the big screen, and I understand that they're older, but at the same time, 
I feel like at this point he probably knows where his drums are pretty well. <laughs> like <laughs> he probably doesn't need to wear the bifocals. You and got to see them though. I did. That was something. It was. It was a very good show. Oh man, I enjoyed it. Never got to see him. Uh, it was Angus Young probably should have stopped wearing the schoolboy outfit when he turned um, SA sixty. I never really uh, got, got that whole thing anyway. I yeah. thought that 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 Malcolm's look, just like the like dirty white t shirt and jeans. And yep, like, I think that that's... says it all and kind of fits ACDC pretty well. Yep, but yeah, I'm sorry. R.I.P. Malcolm Young. Indeed. So, in giant size defenders issues, we are not limited to the month that the issue was released in. We also can choose from the months that the reprint stories are from because there's a pretty good chance that there will be overlap for issues that we've already covered. So. In either April of 1941, June of 1964, or April of 1975, how did Wong pursue his Wong way to the top if he wanted to rock and roll, which in fact he did? So April 75, I covered already and couldn't come up with another good thing for. Sure. Skipped it. Uh, 41... Too much Nazi shit. Yeah, kind of hard to goof on World War II. Didn't want to deal with it. And also just seems implausible that Wong would be doing anything at that point. I know time is kind of different in the Marvel Universe, uh, but Namor at least has like anti-aging shit happening with mm -hmm. his different Atlantean hybrid genetics and mm -hmm. shit. But yeah, no, I similar thought process. I also went with 64. In, uh, so in June of 1964, what was Wong's way to the top? Well, in very late June of 64, Wong has found himself to be the driving force with what is really the beginnings of, of this organization of a cop watch. Ooh. Because he is just sick of police overreacting and messing things up for, for people. Like just because they're trying to hold their winged horse on a street corner? Nope. Oh. <laughs> so, he, I think we've covered before Just being that... a nine-foot dude in a trench coat holding your winged horse on a street corner. Yeah, not cool either. But that, you know, that that cop was such a jerk. Not cool. But, um, no, this more so... So, we've talked about how Wong likes music. Wong digs the, the rock and roll. Sure. And then so, uh, in, a, in June of 64, he found himself making the... Not too far, but the, the track to uh to lynn mass it was supposed to be boston but the venue got moved and he was super excited to see the very first show in the uh the rolling stones tour of the u.s wow however the weather turned and after a few songs things went bad the stones had to take off and the audience freaked out and rushed the stage sure. and the cops overreacted and fired tons of uh tear gas into the into the audience which you know Sadly, kind of became a thing for the Rolling Stones concerts, sure. but you know, Wong in attendance got gassed and just bummed out. Had to have some recovery time, and he was just like, "Shit, man, this isn't cool. We got to come up with better ways to to deal with things." Oh, and and that was that was the the impetus of the whole Cop Watch movement. Cool. Yeah. Was the impetus of the Cop Watch movement? Did that really start from the Rolling Stones concert? No, I have no idea where that came from. Okay, I'm fair just enough. Trying to. Okay, no. It was a. It was. This was a tough one. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, that is one thing that Wong was up to in part of his way to the top if he wanted to rock and roll. Another thing that rock and roll was about, Corey, is expanding your mind, man. Okay. And expanding your imagination. 
Mm. which is something that Wong had always been super into. Sure. And so he started to network more and try to find more like-minded people who are interested in just expanding their minds and imaginations and really figuring out the universe and just kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. One of the people that he encountered was a young uh, young man named Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> I tried to figure this one out, but I couldn't. So, okay. Wong started hanging out with Gene, and they struck up a bit of a friendship, and Wong started telling him stories about his pals, the Defenders. Mm. One of the stories he talked about was the time when they went into Carlsbad Caverns. <laughs> And fought a bunch of evil mutants, and he told them all about Professor X, and Gene was Gene was pretty high right then, so he was only kind of half listening. Mm-hmm. But what he took away from that was just like, subterranean creatures with bulbous heads and telepathic powers, which was the original plotline to the pilot episode of Star Trek called The Cage. Mm-hmm. And back then the show starred a captain named Christopher Pike, who... Also did show up in the Star Trek TV shows, but as a precursor to Captain Kirk. But uh, yeah, Wong's ideas had a real impact on a young Gene Roddenberry, and they were kind of the genesis. His half-forgotten, misremembered tales of Wong talking about his pals turned into the pilot episode of Star Trek, which ended up having a big impact. And later on, I don't mind telling you, Wong became a big fan of the program Star Trek. I'm glad you don't. But in June of 1964, that was Wong's way to the top, if he wanted to rock and roll. And I think he did. did. Yeah. R.I.P. Malcolm Young. R.I.P. Well, dear listeners, it turns out that three Manhattans in an hour is still an <laughs> awful lot of Manhattans. They were big, too, though. They were big. I should learn to make scale models of cocktails. Mm. You ever go to a bar and they make you a cocktail and then it's really small and you're like, so when my actual cocktail is ready, it will look just like this, only larger? Uh, the first part of it, yes. The second part, <laughs> I just, I just am like, oh. I, I think you probably chose the uh, the right path. People generally don't respond for you. <laughs> 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 you were a barman yourself. I would not yeah. like that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have. There's wouldn't rules. Have. That that's true. We live in a society. <laughs> society has rules. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners, <laughs> on this giant size episode of Tighten Up the Defense. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me on Twitter, I'm on there under at ttwasteland underscore. If you would like to send me some money. Well, by golly, I'd appreciate the fuck out of that. It is due to you sending me money that we are covering these giant-sized Defenders issues, and we will go back and hit number two and three soon. And we will have perhaps fewer Manhattans when we do that, or at least smaller smaller Manhattans when we do that. <laughs> <laughs> why are we? I don't even know why we're left. I don't know. Uh, oh, um, it turns out, Corey, mm. I am drunk. <laughs> that is why I am laughing. Ah, that's reasonable. Thank you. Sure. I'm a reasonable man. <laughs> In many regards. <laughs> some. In some <laughs> regards, I am a reasonable man. Are there more things that I need to say right now to end the show, Corey? We like reviews that are nice. We do like reviews that are nice. You can leave us those on iTunes or whatever the fuck iTunes has decided to call itself. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com. Patreon.com backslash... 
I, I said why they should. I don't think I said <laughs> how they should, which uh. is in many ways more important. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com backslash TT Wasteland. That, that's how you give there? us money so that... Uh, oh. No, don't leave us... I mean, I guess you can leave... I don't know if they can even leave us a review there <laughs> if they wanted to. That's where they leave money. Okay. Um, reviews can be left on other places, such as your uh, pod friend. That's probably one. Pod friend. Yeah, I just made it up, but I bet it's a thing. Oh, that sounds creepy. Oh, yeah, it does. It sounds kind of... Uh, Invasion of the Body inv- Snatchers. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam Peckinpah claimed to have written that movie for a while. Did he? No. What happened? He didn't do it. He was like a, he was like a dialogue coach on the movie. Uh, and then he told people that he wrote it, and then eventually enough people were like, dude, you didn't write that. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Bye! <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Is it the recipe site for... Oh, Jesus. We have a recipe site? No, for the drinks. You should put them. The recipes. <laughs> I need to make a website that just has recipes for drinks. That's what you have to do now. I'm sorry. Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right, visit the recipe site. Then I guess now I have to invent. Thanks, Corey. Yep. Bye. And they knew it. Let's go. That drink was good. Thank you. I drank it fast. Mm-hmm. It's part of my strategy. Good thinking. The faster <laughs> I drink, the faster I sober up. That's so clever, Corey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>